0: Hello and welcome to You Should Hear This, a podcast for the everyday association professional. I'm Nick Estrada, your host. When the pandemic hit, events stalled almost immediately. Overnight, associations canceled meetings, enacting contract clauses we never thought we would touch, and we reached out to our vendor and venue partners. Our vendors and venues often responded the way we hoped they would, allowing generous cancellation policies, rescheduling and rebooking meetings, and being understanding of what we were feeling. This hit the tourism industry hard, but it was the best way to protect the relationships and partnerships we had developed over the years. Today, as associations begin their process of meeting again and signing contracts once more, it's important for us to understand this partnership. What should we bring to the table? What makes us a good partner? And how can we continue to build this relationship? Our guests today are Christine Robinette and Karen Farsing. Christine is the regional sales manager and Karen is the business development manager for Belterra Casino Resort. Christine has been a part of the Belterra team since 2007, and she has extensive experience in providing an unparalleled guest service experience through active communication and problem solving. Christine is a current ISAE ambassador and a former Volunteer of the Year recipient. Karen has been a part of the Belterra team since 2014, where she enjoys the people she works alongside, paired with the fast pace, making every day different. Karen spent over a decade working with the Marriott Brands as a sales manager and director of sales. Welcome to you both.
1: Thank you. Thanks for Hi, having me. thank us.
0: you. Well, now that you guys are here, you know, we always start these with just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how did you guys get into the business that you're in now?
1: Christine, you want to start? Sure. You know, the only reason why um, I landed over at Valterra is I had to do a trade show for my company, And uh, my husband was kind of giving me a show around because he was already working there as the golf pro. And within a week, I had an offer to start a job there. So that was very interesting. My boss was not happy about me going to that trade show.
2: (laughs) Um, And I am one of the rare people who actually majored in what I do now. So my background was from Ohio State with a hospitality management degree. Started definitely more on the food and beverage side, and then Quite honestly, once you realize you want to have kids and a family, that becomes a tough life and sales tends to provide a little bit more stability, um, but still staying in that hospitality world. So that's how I made that switch.
0: That's great. So as we start today's conversation, um, I do want to do a little bit of a flashback, right? Tell us a little bit more about uh, as kind of the very beginning of the pandemic, right? Obviously, I'm sure you started getting a lot of phone calls, uh, obviously not just from association professionals, but... You know, I know we work with you guys a lot, probably, and you, you hold a lot of association meetings, especially for state groups. Um, you know, so just tell us a little bit about kind of that initial um, push for cancellations. Um, what was going through your minds as that process was starting?
1: Well, right out of the gate, you know, the initial is, oh my gosh, I've lost so much business, right? So the goal is to make sure you got in touch with that client and found a way to get them rebooked and the schedule in the year for the year would have been fantastic or just shifting to another date without them falling off the face of the earth because that's the hardest part to get back. Yeah.
2: I mean, when it first started, it was definitely... I think slow at first. Oddly enough, I think Christine and I were at an ISAE event. We were at a five hundred five. Was the last event I attended um, before everything shut down. And there were murmurs, and you know everybody was kind of swirling. You knew something was coming. And then within a week, it seems like everything was shutting down. Um, you know, we closed for a couple of months, so we were furloughed and then kind of came back. And you just had to pick up the pieces right away. Um, but I second Christine. The biggest thing was not losing contact. Um, and even throughout that full two year process, just keeping the key lines of communication open was, was really key. And knowing that the business was going to be there at some point, right. It was going to come back. We
1: just didn't know when. And I think, you know, the best part was. You know, first of all, you didn't want to burn any bridges because you never want to do that. And the hospitality world is a close knit group. We all talk and we all know what's happening. Um, But it was important that we maintain that relationship so that way we could be there and be a support system for each other because it was everybody was struggling. It wasn't just hospitality.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a key piece for sure. Right. We all know the impact. and I think hospitality got hit quick and early. Right. But obviously that rippled to everybody else eventually um, as well.
2: Yeah. Uh, I always say that hospitality is kind of like the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. The first to go and the last to come back, right? Whether it be a recession or now a pandemic, um, it's a great indicator of what's coming, whether it be good or bad. So,
0: yeah, I like that concept. Not necessarily in that bad things happening, but (laughs) yeah, it's a good, I think you're right. It's a good indicator to see what might be coming down because. I think especially, right, hospitality or tourism in general is kind of where people go when they've got extra cash or they have flexibility, right? Um, And so when those things start going down, that's something we should probably be looking at. You both mentioned um, kind of keeping in touch, not wanting to burn bridges um, as we build these relationships. So what makes the relationship, um, especially with an association, Um, unique. Obviously, we're not your only clients, right, that you book meetings with, but I do think there's a special kind of connection between an association and a vendor or a venue um, specifically. So what's, what's that look like for you guys?
1: You know, for me, it's the association world is so vital to me because of ISAE and the KSEs of the world, because, you know, not only have I been on the board or I've been on the committees, but I've been to almost every event that I could possibly go to with ISAE. And those are my friends. Those are my colleagues. These are my clients. It was important to maintain those relationships because we all are so a close knit group. So that was really important to me. Um, and I think something Christine mentioned
2: um, when we were just talking before this call with what makes association different um, and how you approach it as a venue different is that your members are attending by choice. Um, they're coming to the conference because they want to, because they're choosing to be a member of your organization, whereas corporations, that's not the case. Um, for the, uh, most times they have to be there. So it does make the association industry different. Um, because they're typically looking for different things. And those are the the things that I think Christine and I enjoy. Usually there's a little bit more of the networking, camaraderie, something fun um, that's happening versus just your standard meeting when you're with an association.
0: I think that's such an important... Important thing for associations, as even as we're listening and having this conversation today, to, to remember, right? Our members, you're right, do come by choice. And so I think that creates a really unique bond between us and the venue because we are creating an experience together, right? Your success in helping to bring my meeting to life and that experience to life benefits us both um, because now maybe those individuals may travel back to your venue by choice, Um on their own, not connected to something that our association is doing. So I think that's a a kind of a great piece there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, They all have their own companies and people that they work for that are doing their own meetings and events. Right. So it's very much a full circle thing.
0: What are you, what are you all seeing um, in terms of kind of the bounce back currently? I mean, I know my own associations, right. We're meeting again, we're starting to have some conversations about contracting for the future again, which, you know, there for a couple of years, it was like, if I, can't sign a contract for the next three years. Fine. (laughs) Uh, Right. To protect my own um, uh, association. But obviously I think now we're starting to see that we can move forward. So what, what are you guys seeing?
2: For the most part, if anything large was booking during the pandemic, it was association for us. Um, I'm not going to say it was like it was before, but association tends to book so much further out that, you know, obviously we were shifting and, and the associations were shifting, but, they were still open to looking at 23, 24, 25. So quite honestly, that was the only thing of any large substance that was booking during the pandemic. Um, It's definitely starting to kick back up again. You're you're seeing the leads come in. um, But for associations specifically, it's even further out because so many events have shifted. So whereas where you were looking maybe two years out before, You know, I would say most of the RFPs I'm getting are 25, 26. Um, It's just, it's, we're looking much further out.
0: Christine, are you seeing anything as you're building and continuing the relationships that you've built um, about maybe anything specific that association professionals maybe are now looking for? Um, You know, obviously if we're looking farther out, I think that is, is one thing, but are there, are there pieces in a contract maybe now that we're, we're more interested in than we were before?
1: Well, it's definitely the language, right? The COVID language, um, how to protect ourselves and protect the client. Cause it's a two way street. And I think probably in the beginning, it was probably more protecting us versus the client where, you know, we've really had to fine tune that and make sure it was a partnership. Um, and some of the things, like you had mentioned, like, what are the things that you're looking for that's different now is, you know, it, um, you're seeing definitely, like some of the things that have carried on from from that pandemic that we're seeing internally is definitely sanitizers are everywhere. And honestly, I hope sanitizers stay forever because everything can be so dirty and it's just, I don't want to be sick. And if we can avoid it, let's do that, right? Um, But I think what's important to note that just came to mind and I'm probably off question now, but is that to pay attention to, People, when they are distant from you, they're probably still not comfortable. They're probably still not ready right? And that's something that I see just walking into a room or people standing still at a distance or those that are hugging are super close, like we're over it, right? So I think it's uh, it's interesting. I'm not seeing anything drastic in some of the um, order, the RFPs that we're seeing by any means that is other than you know, some of the hybrids are definitely still out there. They're just not as like they're not, not every single breakout is a hybrid, right? They're just focusing on keynotes because they found out it's really expensive. Yeah, I think it's, it is.
2: That is really funny. I would say almost every meeting in the beginning was asking for hybrid pricing, and that quickly went away. Um, you get it here and there, but for the most part, I, I feel like that was a little bit more short term than we thought because it is very expensive. And, you know, associations, they're not corporations, they don't have deep pockets and bank accounts that they can go in to cover those things. So the other thing we are seeing is that people are being very conservative in their numbers. Um, I don't think that there's, you know, there's still kind of that lingering worry of, is it going to happen again? Or are my people just not going to show up? You don't really have that history now to base your pickup on. So I think those are the conversations we're having because in a lot of cases, associations still want the same space, right? They still want the same number of breakouts. They still want the same number of rooms but they don't want to be held to them just in case people decide not to show. We're very sensitive to that, but it's just having that conversation and making sure that on the association side, they realize that if you're not contracting the same amount of revenue, if if the value is not the same, then the contract will not be the same, right? You can't kind of have it both ways. But I think for the most part, we've been able to work really well with everybody, especially for groups that are in 2022. 2022, I think, is definitely that transition year. Um, And as we're doing contracts for 23, 24, that's where we're having a little bit of those tougher conversations to say, you know, we need to either lock it in or we need to scale it back.
1: Yeah. And to that, you know, locking it in sooner is definitely happening more so because there's too much going on that people are... Are already ready to like lock it in. Like they're just done. Like, I want this done. I want to move on. And another point that I wanted to make is you know, they're lowballing their numbers for attendance. But the thing that you got to be mindful of is you're more than likely to get more than you think. And make sure you're in a capacity in that room that you can grow to that number because we have to be sensitive to that. Because if you get double the amount, we better make sure you're in the right space too.
0: Yeah, I think I've seen some good conversations um, kind of in the meeting space, especially around um, if I'm contracting far out, right? So I'm contracting 25 or 26 at this point, establishing some check-in points, right? Throughout in that contract. I think we, you know, we used to have them, I think, you know, maybe to check on a couple things, but now I think it's really, hey, let's double check again. Maybe things are looking up for us now. So what kind of space can we grow into? How many more rooms in the room block can we get? Um, But I also think on the association side, that's making some folks feel better because it's, if my numbers are looking down, potentially I can shift down and I can protect us and I can open up more space for you all. Right. Um, Right. On, on the hotel side. So I'm curious Open
2: communication. Yeah. So
0: absolutely. I think that's probably the biggest piece of it, right. Is just talk. Um, (laughs) I think there's so many times that we'll, at least on the association side, we'll sit on this side, right. And say like, they're never going to give us that. Well, we should just ask. Maybe they won't. <laughs> um, you know, maybe that, that's not going to happen. And I think the same thing from the vendor side, you know, I mean, I know I've seen a, an entire conference time frame move because the hotel wanted something different. Um, you know, either a more uh, revenue generating client may was coming in and that. So we said, yeah, we'll move. Right. So I think it's it works both ways for those kinds of questions.
2: No, I was just going to say that's also, I think where you're seeing some associations and hotels that have had long partnerships, you're you're relying on those hotels that you have relationships with. And that's where your past history, but your networking, your the organizations you're a part of make a big difference, right? Because it's one thing to be talking to somebody that you've never met um, about an event. It's another thing to be talking to somebody that you see on a regular basis. Or, you know, that you have. So I think it's, there's that comfort there. Um, we're seeing a lot of people they want to go back to where they were before. Cause at least they know that it's going to, you know, they know the person that they know that the hotel knows their event and there's that comfort level.
1: You know, what I was going to say is that, you know, the other thing too, that we're very, um, conscious of when we're seeing an RFP, those groups that used to be space hogs, we're having those conversations with them of like, your numbers do not justify the space or your room to ratio doesn't make sense. Um, And having those hard conversations, because if you're playing down your numbers, well, I'm not going to let you use the entire facility, because it doesn't justify.
0: Yeah, I think those are all great points. And I think lead into so my next question, you know part of this conversation I think is, is for the association to recognize um, the value that we can bring obviously to, um, to a vendor or a venue. So I'm I'm curious then what for you would make like an ideal client, right? Or what, when you see that RFP come through, you're like, yeah, we got to get this business because sometimes I think, right. We send out RFPs and to your point, Christine, right. I want every single room, in the hotel. <laughs> I want top-notch food, but my budget is pennies, right? Right. But I want you to work with me because I want to come to your property. So what, what are the things that make a strong RFP for you when you're looking um, and what are the, the characteristics of a good client?
2: The bigger the budget, the better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Always.
2: Pockets. That's the best thing. Now, you know, I think that when I look at an RFP, um, there's two things that are the most helpful for me are, did you tell me what your budget was? Um, there seems to be in some organizations, the sense that well, if I tell them what my budget is, they're going to max it out. That's not why I'm asking that question. You know, you're doing this event, you know what you can spend, right? And, and that's going to help guide me throughout the entire process. If you're not willing to give a budget, that's usually a red flag for me um, that either you don't have one <laughs> or there's some sort of hesitancy or untrust on that side where they've been burned in the past or something has happened. So budget helps. The other thing I love is I think at Marriott, this is in the date me, but we used to call them gold keys. Um, but if you can articulate what's most important to you, I will, you know, we get concessions lists that are sometimes longer than the agenda. Um, and you know, that not all of those are needs. A lot of those are wants. What is the things that are most important to you? That doesn't mean we're not going to give you anything else, but I need to know what boxes I need to tick um, or that I can't tick so that I can effectively communicate that. So those would be the
1: things I look for the most. Yeah, and definitely put them in a priority of order is really, really helpful. And I, you know, and you said earlier, you know, Ask the question, right? Because you don't know what we can do because every property is a little different. Um, But just don't put the same request on every single RFP, right? Because a board of directors meeting is cannot justify all of those things versus an annual or a trade show or what have you. Um, Yeah, we see the cut and paste a lot.
2: And it's one thing if you're giving one property all of your meetings. So, but it's another when you're, you can kind of tell when the, concessions list was cut and paste from the annual conference onto the board of directors meeting, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, you, you probably aren't going to get a one through 20 comp ratio for 12 rooms. <laughs> so and that's just kind of a flag where you're like, they must not have really read this whole thing through, right? Because you wouldn't have even reached that. So those are the little things. But for the most part, I mean, oh, Christine, something you had talked about earlier, past history.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really nice to know where they've been because uh, it gives me a better idea of what that comp set looked like, you know, uh, especially if it's a property I'm familiar with, then it's like, okay, I know all the things they've got good going for them. And I also know those areas of improvement. So I already know what my upper hand is right out of the gate, right? So I know how to hit the ground running with that proposal.
2: Or at the same time, if you see, you know, Myrtle Beach, Orlando, Las Vegas, and then I get an RFP, I'm usually picking the phone to go, okay, so what's making you look in Indiana, right? Uh, But for associations, sometimes they they have changed, right? They need to be Midwest or trying to reach different membership, but that history is so helpful for us.
0: Is there a characteristic, um, you know, or a behavior in the people that you work with then, right? So we're past maybe the RFP, or maybe we're still in the RFP process, but um, is there things that make an association easier or harder to work with, and what might those things be?
1: I got something fun that I was just right out of the gate. I think it's so interesting, you know, we get those top-notch planners, right, that know exactly how the event goes from beginning to end. They are not Near as needy because they know what they need. They know all of those expectations that they have to meet, and but then what's awesome too is when you get those that are a little green and at the very infancy stages of some of these events, what's really great about it is we have got such a great team that we can help them along the way, learn, educate them, get that knowledge in there and help them really improve their understanding of how events come together. So they look good to their team. And we like to help make that happen. Because if there's success, we're a success and they'll come back.
2: Yeah. I would say to the... I would say the biggest challenge I have in association sometimes after the RP process is meals on own. Um, There's a lot of association because the budgets are tighter, right? And a lot of times your registration fees are what's covering all of your conference fees. So there's a lot of lunch on own, breakfast on own, which is great. Um, I think that sometimes there's a miscommunication on what that means to the venue. If I can't contract it and I can't count on it, that I can't count on it. So there's a lot of like, but we're going to eat in your restaurants, but we're going to gamble in your casino. And unless there's, unless that's contracted, that's not revenue that I can count on. And I think sometimes when we look at that, there's sometimes a miscommunication between the two, right. Between the association and the venue on what meals on own means. Um, Especially as when you think about staff, right. When you're looking and you're in that event space and you're not eating catered food, the event team that's in there servicing your event is still cleaning the space is still taking out the garbage is still cleaning up, but they're no longer getting any type of service fee because all of your meals are in the restaurants. Um, and I try to explain that. I think Christine and I do a good job of that, but I think that that would be probably the biggest challenge um, with association versus corporate, because in a corporate event, you're almost always going to contract all of your meals. There's very little on-own, but I think it's just having the understanding of what a meal on-own means. Um and how that impacts the staff, the space. And if you are gonna have a lot of meals on your own, being open to paying rental, because that's where we would make up the difference. But if you want all the space, with no rental, and 50% of your meals on own, it's not just that you're not bringing that money to the property, it's me being cognizant of what you're bringing to our banquet staff, if that makes
1: sense. And you know something that you said too, um, you know, the, the funny things was the casino. You know, someone says, well, I'm bringing a bunch (laughs) of players to the casino. I'm like, you know what, that's great. But that means nothing to me (laughs) because I'm not in the casino business.
2: Everybody's a high roller when they come to Belterra. Yeah,
1: (laughs) for sure.
0: So you mentioned though, right? Like being able to potentially contract something like that. So do you have maybe an example of how um, somebody has been able to maybe successfully work with you all to contract some of those kinds of alternative meal options within your, yes. um, venue?
2: Yeah, we, we were always willing to work with contracting meal. And honestly, that's better. I think it's better on the guest experience as well. When you have a couple hundred people who are going to crash a restaurant at noon for lunch, that's not good for anybody, right? It's not going to be good for the staff. It's not going to be good for the guests There's going to be weights. So we are happy to contract meal periods in our outlets we get that you don't want to be in your banquet room, you know, for 12 hours every day, that you need to be able to get out and, you know, eat in a restaurant or move around. Um, Belterra is a little different in that we have everything under one roof. So whereas you're having a meeting downtown and everybody disperses for lunch, that's a different conversation that we may not be the best to speak to. Um, But in regards to contracting meals for us, we contract meals at our restaurants all the time. Um, And in that case, you know, not all outlets then counts towards food and beverage minimums. Um, but we make exceptions. And it goes back to what you were saying, Nick, with asking the question, right? And there's a lot of times that we'll say yes, and there's times that we say no. We usually try to at least give one or two um, to be able to say, okay, we can't do every meal on your own, but we will make sure that your dinner counts towards your food and beverage minimum or your lunch. Um, so I think it's just goes back to that communication, but being cognizant of if there's not, if it's not on the contract, and you can't guarantee, if you can't count on it, then it doesn't exist, kind of, if that makes sense. Not that that's not value to the property though. And that's what I hope to not, you know, every dollar that you're spending at our property matters. We love that you're gambling in our casino and eating in our restaurants and drinking in our bars. Um, and that is certainly not taken for granted. Um, it's just being cognizant of how that fits into a contract and how you can count on that spent.
0: Well, and from your perspective, right, when you're looking at the the value or the profit of an individual meeting, mm-hmm. right? Then that's not, that's not playing into that, you know, right. but when your your general manager is looking at the overall budget of the property, absolutely. That is now playing a part of it, but we exactly. have to think on the association side, remember that those are two different verticals in your business, yes. just like for me, right? Membership certification conferences are all different components as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. So what are, What are some
0: of the things that maybe planners or associations have asked you in the past um, that maybe you've had to get a little creative, um, but I think that have maybe shown how you can help build that success for people? Uh, You you know, they asked you and you're like, ah, what? That's a request? Uh, But then how do you ultimately, again, as that partner, help to deliver that experience for them?
2: I think a lot of where, at least on Belterra's side, we step in is that we do a lot more than just the rooms and space. Um, we're helping contract things to do in the area, helping with busing, with um, getting out into the community and helping make reservations. We have a lot of groups that want to come in and they want to do something. And Belterra is very remote. That doesn't necessarily, you don't look at Belterra and go, there's a ton to do around here, right? So we have to get very creative in how we service our groups, probably more than a normal hotel. Um, Christine could probably speak very well. We have some groups that do dine-arounds in Vivi, which is a really cool concept for large associations, but also is so important when you're in a small town. Um, the value that associations bring when you're booking a Belterra versus a downtown property is drastically different, especially once you get out into the community. Um, and you can really make an impact with your spend when you're in a small community and you're shopping in their you know, locally owned businesses and stores and restaurants. So Christine, I don't know if you want to talk about the arounds, but those are some of the most fun things we hope kind of think outside the box
1: with? Yeah, so the dine around and when we utilize like a VV that's just, you know, five, six, seven minutes away from us is, you know, we go to that city and we say, look, we've got a day that we want to shut down the streets. We want you to open up your restaurants and set your your meal at this price for all of our groups and then we sell those tickets or not us but the the leader of that event sells tickets to that and they provide some kind of entertainment that's maybe in the street Um, and that way you know sometimes there's a bunch of food trucks that are brought in too. You know, and it's just a variety, and there are food trucks that are coming from Cincinnati, Louisville, Indianapolis. You know, to kind of get a taste of everything. But the whole point is to come together and and know know your communities, know your towns. And you know, ours is very remote, so it's really easy to close our town. But what's nice about that is everybody gets a benefit of this association that's come to town instead of keeping it under one roof. And you know, they they get their ROI out of it. And they really enjoy that. And there's a very uh, specific group that comes, you know, every four years and you're talking, you know, 650 to 800 people that are downtown. All of those storefronts are so ecstatic to have that, you know, that, uh, that traffic for sure. Yeah. So, but yeah,
2: for us mostly it's the, what is there to do around Belterra? Right. But Um, I think when you can create a partnership with your venue, whether you are downtown or remote like we are, and utilize trusted vendors to help make it easier on the planner, um, I think that that's where we have found a lot of our success. Thinking outside the box, finding new things to do, new vendors to bring in. We're bringing in yoga coming in. We do a lot of wine and canvas. Um, We have a Zumba instructor that's going to start looking at doing some Zumba, um, which sounds kind of funny, but they're just fun things that you can offer and really think outside the box not what you can just do on your property, but what can you offer outside that you can bring in um, and help the planner with some new ideas?
0: Well, I think all those are great points, right? Because as we think about, at least in my opinion, what the pandemic has done, especially for an in-person meeting, it has created something where that can't just be education, sitting in a room, one meal a day, because now I think people will challenge us to say, well, why couldn't I just do that virtually, right? Why why can't we just get that education or that credit online without having to spend whatever I might have to spend to go to this property when we can now shift to saying, this is an experience, right? This is a way for you to engage in the community. This is a way for you to engage with your peers in a new way that you wouldn't be able to do online. And so I think you're right. We have to work with our venues to figure out how do we create this experience that is unique And that is something that makes me feel like I'm missing out if I'm not there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We were going that way pre-pandemic. And I think we will be fully there um, coming out of it. I think that you're absolutely right. That was that whole like experience was kind of a buzzword in 2019. And now I think I don't think you're gonna have successful
1: meetings without
2: it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's just nothing like going to a networking event and looking around the room and seeing that person across the way that you haven't seen in so long where you're not going to get that out of a zoom because you don't see anyone else in the room. And I'll tell you what, a lot of us have got our cameras off and we're multitasking. So we're not hundred percent engaged either.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I hear that. I know even with my own association, the, the virtual networking is, is over. People have They've hit their max with it. They're ready to get back together. (laughs) They're ready to, to see somebody in the real, right. And, and have those conversations. So as we start to wrap up a little bit here, I'm curious what are, um, you know, obviously everything's not back fully yet. Um, I know, um, we're still having some struggles sometimes with service levels. Um, but what, what are some of the struggles that you all are still currently experiencing? Uh, how can associations be maybe a little bit more understanding than maybe we might be around some of those pieces? And then how can the two of us partner um, for success around some of those struggles for you?
2: Going back to everything we're talking about, communication solves a whole lot, but you know staffing is staffing is still a huge challenge. Um, so when you're asking for things that you used to ask for, even so much as early check-in, That may not just not be possible depending on how many housekeepers front desk agents you have and how busy you were the night before. I think sometimes people feel that it's just a blanket no, because for some reason we just don't want people in the hotel before three. That's not the case. Um, It's there's reasons, right? For the no. And so I think it's having those conversations that we just may physically not have the rooms, right? And they may not be ready right at three. It could be four, right? It's, it's, it's understanding that everybody's kind of doing the best they can. Um, the other challenge is pricing, just like everybody else. You all see it at the grocery store, right? We we all go in and all of a sudden things are double what they were before. When you're looking at a catering menu, catering pricing is going to change. Um, I saw one hotel the other day I was looking at online that does a seasonal menu. Now they have a different menu for winter, spring, summer, fall, which I'm guessing is price related. Um, Belterra's not doing that, but kind of just being cognizant of food and beverage discounts are a real challenge right now. Um, There really isn't much room to discount food. So if you can take that concession away and be a little bit more cognizant of the fluctuating costs of certain items, I think that really helps on the hotel side. Um, That is the biggest challenge that I think we have right now on our banquet side is just Figuring out, can we get the product? <laughs> and how much is it going to cost us? And knowing that it may not, our menus, you know, sometimes we're making more or less depending on the day now. Those things are just changing so quickly. But th- those are the big ones. Um, you know, as long as we can talk about it, we can do it. Um, I will tell you a funny story that Christine and I, you know, I used to waive room drop fees. Never crossed my mind. You want me to wave the room drop fee? Check. Gone. Done. What Next. During the pandemic, we didn't have bell staff, we didn't have staff staff. So um, I did some room drops. It was not fun. It was not easy. Um, You know, a couple hundred bottles of champagne and chocolates and glassware going into a room. My feet hurt. My back hurt. Took me about eight hours. I'm a little more hesitant to waive that room drop fee now. (laughs) gotta tell you (laughs) because what I did find out, and you know, shame on me, is that that's going directly to our staff. That's that's the gratuity that's going to the staff for doing it. Um, I think that post pandemic, I am so much more appreciative of everything that our operations staff has had to do to keep the lights on, to keep it moving. We're very lucky in sales that we don't always see their side of it when they're working day after day. Um, So I think as long as the to the association and the venue can kind of keep that in mind, right? There are people who are working very, very hard to make these events happen. And sometimes when I say I can't waive a fee, it's not because I don't want to waive the fee. It's because I don't want to take it out of somebody's pocket. It's not necessarily going to the venue's bottom line, right? A lot of times it's going to a person.
0: Well, I think those are such great stories for the association to then pass on, right? Whether that's in a no-before-you-go email, you know, I, I know during the pandemic, as we were meeting in some places, that was a big thing our office really tried to push on our members was, hey... You know, when you go to check in, right, it may not be ready at 12 just because your flight landed at 12 or if there is a room ready, it may not be the one you, you know, originally got. So if you want to get in, they can accommodate you, but it may not be in the same room that you thought you booked. And so those are all very helpful because I think that's really nice to be able to pass that on both to our members, but also sometimes to our staffs. You know, I think, especially if you're the sole meeting planner for your association, I think we just often hear sometimes, right? Like, what do you mean they're not going to waive that, that room drop fee? Right. And it's like, well, now I have, now I have a reason. Now I have a, a thing to share that says, well, this is why they're not going to waive that, you know, because right. Karen had to do that on her own once, just like we had to stuff name badges once and we don't like to yeah. do that. And I don't so, like to do that. You know, yeah. we're going to do that instead.
2: I was making some apologies that day. I think I apologized to our, our bell attendant about nine times. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I waived that fee. <laughs> never
1: happen again, um, but. And I think you you hit it, Nick, when you said, you know, you know, before you go, it's setting those expectations because, you know, even if I said, you know, even in the restaurants, If you dine even on your own personally, you know that some of those restaurants still have a setup of social distancing because they never got the manpower back to even try to keep up to what it used to be. And that goes for our outlets as well, right? It's just, just be more mindful of that, be more empathetic, sympathetic to what people are going through. Um, it's, It's just number one. You know, if anything that we've learned out of all of this is just be more mindful for people. You do not know what they are going through. Yeah,
2: but it's also, you know, it's on the
1: hotel side for us
2: to also be cognizant that we know there could be lines and things may not be ready. One of the things Belterra did when we went back to big events last fall, um, we had a couple back-to-back sellouts for the first time in a while. We knew there were going to be lines. We, We knew it. And we staffed around it, obviously, but then we also had special shirts made for our staff that said, ask me a question. We had carts with bottled water out so we could, you know, hand them out to people waiting in line. So it's not going to solve every problem, but, you know, it's just not on the hotel to say, well, there's going to be lines, get over it, right? They need to work with you to make the guest experience as good as they can. So I think, you know, if you're talking to a hotel, you're going to say, okay, we're going to have everybody checking in in the same two hours. We know there's going to be lines. We understand that. What are you going to do to help us impact what the guests are thinking about that? And they should have an answer for that. Those are things that the venue should be thinking about too. So it's, it's not a one-way street. I think it's just um, coming up with creative solutions, creative ideas, and setting the setting the expectation. So it's not a surprise. People don't want to be surprised. Um, so as you, if you can tell your association, hey, if you're arriving between four and six p.m expect a line, right? But here are the things that you can do instead, or here's where you can put your bag. If you don't want to wait, et cetera, et cetera, then I think that you can, you can manage that much better.
0: Yeah. Thank you for all of that. I think the key components of this entire conversation, I think have been communication, yep. partnership. Christine, I like the last word you use there, empathy, right? I think on the association side, staff, we want empathy from our members and I think it's important that we provide that same kind of an empathy then that we're wanting to our vendors and our venue partners. I know that's always something, right? That when I am working with a property, I'm like, you know, back when, you know, masks were obviously still, you know, a big thing for a lot of properties and it was, okay, your whole staff's wearing them. We're going to wear them too. Like we're a team and that's how, just how it's going to be like, and that's okay. Um, so I think the more and more we can do that, I think the better.
2: It's good to be back. We're definitely seeing an uptick and excited to to get back to hosting some, some big events.
0: And we are excited to work with our venue and vendor partners. It is definitely an exciting time to come back as well. As we wrap up any final tidbits or things you'd like to make sure our listeners hear today.
2: No, I think, uh, I think we covered it. I think this was a great conversation. I know Christine and I both appreciate that, you know, we were even asked to be a part of this conversation and, you know, it's just the partnerships we have with our associations are really special. They are, it is completely different um, than any, you know, their corporate or other segments. And I know Christina and I both personally love association. It's something we're very passionate about. So
1: we appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having us. It's uh it's been nice. And I hope that this is helpful to any other member or in other venues that are listening in, you know, be mindful.
0: Well, thank you both for being here. I, I would agree. I think it was a great conversation. And I think it helps, um, again, just paint kind of that experience and what we're trying to create with this partnership.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of You Should Hear This. If you have any questions you'd like answered or future topics you'd like us to explore, please send us an email at info at Ise.org.